Um, our reading this morning um, continues in Luke 9. It's verses 10 to 17. And it's the story of uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Um, every week we come, we read scripture. It's the focus of everything that we do here. Um, if you need a Bible, there are some in the windowsills. And if you don't have one, you can take that home with you. Um, so let's hear the word speak to us this morning. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that every Sunday we can speak it, hear it, and listen to it, and take it away and apply it to our lives, Lord. Thank you for that. Pray now for Andrew as he comes to um, speak to us about this passage. Pray, Father, that you would fill him full of the Holy Spirit and his words would be your words. We thank you for him and we pray for him. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thanks, Claire. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. It was great having all the kids running around and seeing what uh, God's doing through them. I love that. Um, we're in the book of Luke. If you're new or this is your first time with us, we just kind of take books of the Bible and work our way through. Um, so we've been in this series of, uh, in Luke's gospel for a wee while, and we're going to be there for another wee while. Um, and now we're at cha- in kind of in the middle of chapter 9, where Jesus has been doing all these miracles and uh, calming storms and, and casting out demons and raising uh, dead little girls. And he has sent the apostles out on a, a kind of mission trip. He said, go and, and, and preach the kingdom and, and heal the sick and cast out demons. And, and now today they've, they've come back and, and Jesus said, well, let's, let's go on a retreat. Let's, let's go and have some quiet time and rest. But you might remember, or um, maybe you were reading this week, at the, at the end of our passage last week, we, we, we learned that Herod, who, not the Herod who killed all the babies when Jesus was born, his son, uh, Herod uh, Antipas, Antipas, that's right, how you say it, um, he um, he had had John the Baptist beheaded. He, he wanted to end this movement. He wanted to uh, not have his authority um, um, questioned or threatened. And so at the request of his daughter, he has John the Baptist beheaded, and he thought that was the end of it. 
But now he's hearing that Jesus is not the only one who's doing these miracles and who's preaching this thing called the kingdom of God. It's actually the disciples too. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 9, he asks a really important question. He says, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. It's a really important question. Who is this? Who is this? This is a question that that all of us need to reckon with, right? We need to to think, who who is this Jesus person that we're learning about? Maybe you've never heard of Jesus before. Maybe you've heard, maybe you know him. But we all still have to answer this question. Who is this? Is he just an historic figure? Is he just a prophet? Is he a teacher? Is he a healer? Or is he more than this? And I love what Luke, the author, does here. He leaves this question hanging in the air as he just moves on to record what happens next, right? So it's a bit like when, you know, whenever you've been watching a box set on Netflix and you get to the end of one episode and then something happens and you're like, I knew I was going to go to bed two hours ago, but I have to see what happens. And you just press next episode or you just let it go on to the next one. That's what's going on here. Who is this? Luke doesn't feel the need to answer the question right away. He just lets the next episode play. Because he knows that as this story unfolds, that we're going to see who this is. This question is going to be answered for us. So keep that question in mind as we we work through our passage this week. And then as we come to our passage next week in this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Who is this? So that's the backdrop for our passage this morning. Let me pray for us again and just ask for God's help. And we'll, we'll dive into Luke chapter 9 verses 10 to 17. Uh, Father, we do ask for your help. We thank you for your word that you haven't left, left us to live in the world uh, without guidance or without knowledge of who you are. Uh, Father, we want, to, we want you to answer that question for us this morning. Who is this? Lord, we want to see Jesus. We pray that you'd reveal him to us now through your spirit working through us in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I wonder if you ever experienced that feeling of just settling down for a nice relaxing evening and then it gets interrupted. I don't know if you ever had that and if it makes you as annoyed as it makes me. Um, maybe it's a Friday night and it's been a long week and you've just got your takeaway ready and you've got Netflix lined up for your Netflix and chill. I, we're not sponsored by Netflix this morning. I don't know why I'm talking about it so much. Uh, Disney Plus or Amazon Prime or your choice, whatever it is, or maybe a DVD if you're old school. Um, that's a disc that has movies on it for all the young people. Um, And then there's a knock at the door. Maybe your neighbor needs help or somebody's car's broke down. But you probably know that feeling, don't you? You're getting a rest lined up or maybe you're on holiday and then somebody's family shows up. That's happened to us a few times. But you know what it's like to have that rest interrupted. And that's what's happening here. Verses 10 to 11, we see that on their return, this is the disciples coming back from the the, the mission that Jesus sent them out on. And he took them apart to a town called Bethsaida which is kind of at the top of of the Sea of Galilee. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Jesus has taken the disciples away for some much-needed retreat, some much-needed time spent with the Lord, so they can report back to him all they've done in his name and so they can receive rest from him. But the crowds who have who've been kind of seeing what's been happening, they want more. They want to see Jesus. They, they want to hear about this thing called the kingdom of God. Uh, we actually know from the other gospels that, that they, the, 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 the disciples sail across the Sea of Galilee, which is about four miles. But then the, the crowds were, go round the sea, and it's about eight miles on foot for them. 
5,000 people. You can imagine it happen. They're going like, we're going to see Jesus. Come on. And this crowd gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually, there's 5,000 men plus women and children. Now, the first thing I want to say about this is that there is nothing wrong with withdrawing from life and busyness to spend time with Jesus. This is a really good thing to do. In fact, it's a healthy thing to do. We all need to do this. We all should be taking time out to spend time with the Father. This is what we see in the life of Jesus. We all need to recharge by spending time alone with the Lord. But that's not the point of the story today. What's interesting here is that Jesus' desire for retreat and rest with the disciples doesn't overshadow his desire to provide for the people who come to him. When his rest time is interrupted, he doesn't say, look, sorry guys, um, we've had a busy few weeks here. We just need some time together. Come back tomorrow. He doesn't try to shake them off. He doesn't pull down the curtains or, or pull the curtains and turn the lights off and pretend nobody's at home. He doesn't do that. Verse 11 tells us he welcomed them. In this interrupted rest, he welcomes them. He's not like begrudgingly saying, okay, look, fine, come and sit down and, and we'll see what we can do. It's not like that. Jesus welcomes them. And not only does he welcome them, he begins ministering to their needs through the preaching of the kingdom and healing the sick. And very simply, this tells us that Jesus provides for all who come to him. Jesus provides for all who come to him. Jesus never turns away anybody that comes to him. Never. His door is always open. He is always ready to receive those who come to him. Always. This passage is a story of Jesus' provision and our need. But he's providing for the people long before the actual miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 takes place. He's providing for his disciples after their own missionary journey and work by providing them with rest and alone time with them. He's providing for the crowds through the teaching of the kingdom and the healing of the sick. He provides for all who come to him. I, I think that sometimes we think that maybe God's too busy for me or maybe he doesn't have enough time or maybe he's distracted with, with bigger things going on in the world. But Jesus is never too tired, never too busy, never too distracted. He never turns away from us. He never sends us away. He never says, just hang on a second. He welcomes us always. The feeding of the 5,000 is, is one of the most famous of Jesus' miracles. Even if someone's not a Christian, you've probably heard that phrase before. And it's the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And it's maybe if, you've come, if you come from a church background, it, it's kind of familiar and you come to it and you think, oh yeah, I know what this is about. I know what's going on here. Jesus is the provider, but maybe there's more going on here than we might think. He provides not just food for hungry people. He always welcomes us. The Lord is not like us. He is always full of compassion. Always. He is always pouring out grace. You know what it feels like to even the people you love most in the world, you can get a bit annoyed or impatient or you're like, oh, not now. I did it with my, with my son yesterday. I was like busy working on something really important. I was fixing my bike. And then he come along and I was like, oh, I don't have time for you now. Oh, Jesus never does that. Never. Psalm 148 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in, the abundant, or, or, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Maybe you need to hear this this morning. There is no doubt that Jesus cares deeply 
about whatever needs you have in your life right now. Whatever burdens you're carrying, he is compassionate towards you. And he welcomes you to join him and, and, and cast those burdens at his feet. And he's doing that precisely because he is bringing a kingdom where all your pain, all your suffering, all your depression, all your anxiety, all your relationship troubles, all your guilt, all your shame, all your separation from God and all your sin will be no more. Jesus doesn't see this huge crowd of followers as an inconvenience or a problem to be solved. He sees them as his creations who he loves so deeply what Jesus sees when we come to him and say oh there's a problem to be solved or oh yeah not her again not him again flip's sake he doesn't say that he sees us as his creation so he cares about so deeply and he has compassion and look what he does here he heals those of them who were sick and he teaches them about the kingdom this is kind of Jesus one track record isn't it what does Jesus teach about, uh, speak about every opportunity he gets? The kingdom, right? The kingdom. That's what he wants to talk about. Anytime anyone would listen, be it a crowd of thousands or an audience of one, Jesus preaches about the kingdom. You see, the people thought that, they, that, that the Messiah would come and, and, and overthrow an oppressive government. And maybe we think that, that the Messiah will come and, and overthrow the things that oppress us. Our need of wealth or the burdens that we carry in life. But Jesus goes, you're thinking too small. Jesus says, I have come to bring a kingdom that will meet your even greater need. A need, that, that, a need bigger than being hungry out in the desert. A need far more urgent than having an illness that needs curing. A need even bigger than physical death. And our view of Jesus can be so small, can't it? See... We tend to do this. Jesus says, I'm coming to bring my kingdom. And we just want Jesus to come into our kingdom and kind of tidy up a bit and then go away again, don't we? Jesus, if you can come into my kingdom, into my world, and just sort out my problems right now, that would be great. But the provision Jesus supplies us with is, is, is far bigger than we even think. He didn't come to be like a genie in a lamp, right? Just like rubbing the lamp and out pops Jesus and then he fixes all our problems. Jesus' message is consistently that our sin has separated us from God. And, he is, and, and all the death and hunger and sickness that we see and experience in life are just symptoms of that much greater need. Whatever, whatever worry, whatever burdens you're carrying this morning are, are symptomatic of a much greater need that we all have. And Jesus says, I have come to establish a kingdom, a kingdom in which there will be no hunger. A kingdom in which there will be no sickness, no death. And, and the sin that, that causes all those things will be gone forever. And here's the best bit. He welcomes them. Anybody who comes to Jesus to enter his kingdom, Jesus welcomes them. He welcomes us. If you're a Christian this morning, you've been welcomed into Jesus' kingdom. And if you're not a Christian, he is offering a welcome to you. You have to step through the door. Jesus provides for all who come to him. So maybe let me ask you this question. How are you today? How are you doing? Is your faith small? 
And maybe you're just limping along right now and barely able to hold it all together and you're weighed down by whatever it is you're going through. Well, if this is you, then please hear me. Jesus provides for all who come to him. And he provides even when it seems like there is no provision available. They're in the desert. What are you going to do? He just provides. He welcomes them and he provides their needs. And like the Christmas carol says, uh, he knows our need. To our weakness, he is no stranger. Jesus provides for us when we come to him, so we just have to ask ourselves, am I willing to come to him? Jesus cares for you, and we can just bring our burdens to him. We can come weak and hungry and tired and doubting, and he will welcome us. I can't stand here and tell you that Jesus is going to give you an easy life, but I can promise you that when we come to him, he will give you eternal life. Isn't that far better? Now, Jesus has clearly been ministering to this crowd for a long time, all day, in fact. From the other Gospels, we can work out that it's now about half four in the afternoon, and the sun will soon be setting, and the bellies start to rumble. And, and fair play to the 12 disciples. They notice this, and, and, and they come to Jesus and bring this kind of need to him, or, or maybe they're just seeing this as an opportunity to get rid of the people and finally get back to their right relaxation. But either way, they come to Jesus. And, and this is what we see, and this is what happens in verses 12 to 15. Now, the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him and said, uh, came, uh, and said to him, Send the crowd away, <laughs> which is the opposite of what Jesus has just done. Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. They want them to find provision anywhere else except the one place where provision is offered. Isn't that interesting? But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, well, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go and buy food for all the people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. The disciples come to Jesus and the people are hungry. And Jesus' response is, you feed them. 5,000 men plus women and children, so probably somewhere in the region of like seven or 8,000 hungry people, and Jesus says, you feed them. <laughs> you can kind of imagine their response, sorry, what? <laughs> feed them? Like, Jesus, do you know where we are? We're in the desolate place. We're in the desert. There's no shops out here. We just have like somebody's packed lunch. We have no money, and even if we did, there's no phone signal. We can't like order Domino's or something. Like, what are we going to do? Telling us to feed them? You see, what's happening is that Jesus gives them an opportunity to trust him and minister to his people, and all they see are the obstacles. <laughs> but what we see happen next is that Jesus provides through the obedience of his disciples. Jesus provides through the obedience of his disciples. I think our response to Jesus calling us to obey him is so often the same as the disciples, isn't it? We only see the obstacles. <laughs> Last week we learned how Jesus is sending us out on mission. And I know you've had these discussions with your missional communities this week. And, uh, and he sends us out on mission to share the gospel. And so often our response is, I can never do that. And by the way, God, here's all the reasons why I can't do this. <laughs> We're in a phase of parenting with Abigail at the minute. So she's five. And when we tell her to do something like, go and put your jammies on or put your shoes away. She's just like, it's too hard. <laughs> That's what their voice can do. And that's like us with Jesus, isn't it? 
He says, would you trust me and, 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 and minister to the people? And we say, it's too hard, Lord. I'm not prepared enough. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too shy. I don't have all the answers. But Jesus isn't calling us to do the impossible. He's just calling us to trust him and obey. Trust him and obey him. And by simply obeying him, Jesus worked an incredible miracle this day. He told them to, to get the people to sit down, and so they did. Hey, get them to sit down in groups of 50s. Well, I guess we can manage that. And they did that, and then guess what? The people sat down. And then it was Jesus who took the bread and the fish and gave thanks for it and broke it, and he just passed it out to the disciples. And what did the disciples do? Pass it out to the crowd. Through the simple obedience of the disciples, Jesus provided for the people. This is how Jesus continues to work in his church and in the world. Through the simple trust and obedience of his followers, Jesus works miracles and provides even salvation. I've certainly experienced this in our church family, and I hope you have too. My brothers and sisters simply obeying Jesus and then I'm provided for. <laughs> We've had food given to us in times of need. We've had money given to us in times of need. I'm sure we've told this story before, but during COVID, in the early days of COVID, healing needed surgery. It was going to be years and years and years of waiting, and it was just a, not a very nice place to be in. And, and somehow, money appeared in our house that paid for the surgery. For us, that's a miracle. For someone else, that was simply trust and, obey, and obeying. See how that works? Can I encourage you to obey Jesus in caring for your brothers and sisters? Us as a church family, this is where it starts, okay? We care for one another. We trust and obey. There are 59 different one another phrases in the New Testament. Commands for the church from Jesus himself. 59 different one another's. Love one another, admonish one another, care for one another, forgive one another, bear with one another. And the amazing thing is, is that when we obey these commands in our church family, the Lord Jesus does incredible things. When we received that money for Healy's surgery, that was an absolute miracle for us. Like an absolute miracle, it was a, a, an answer to an impossible prayer. But it came from somebody just simply trusting and obeying. God said, God said, uh, or sorry, you just them. Um, God saying, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Them saying, God, you said this, so I'm going to trust you and obey and do this. And then what we experience on the other side is the miracle. See how that works? And it's not just in the church either. This simple trust and obedience is what we are called to do in the world as well. Jesus says, go and preach the gospel, right? And all we have to do is trust and obey. And the obedience is simple, step by step. Get them to sit down. Pass out the food. Step by step, simple, trusting obedience. And, it, and this isn't to say that Jesus needed the disciples this day. He could have just miraculously have filled their bellies. But he chose to include the disciples in his work. It was for their benefit and building of their faith and the joy and worship of him that he gave the disciples the privilege of joining in his work. God doesn't need us to bring people to him. God doesn't need us to save people. But in his wisdom and for his glory and for our joy and encouragement and building our faith, he chooses to use us. 
God has ordained that it's through his people simply speaking the gospel that the lost will be saved. That's what we're calling this whole series to seek and save the lost. He's using us to seek and save the lost. Not because he needs to, but because he chooses to. God has made it so that through our step-by-step, simple trust and obedience, that his kingdom is spreading across our streets, our city, this island, the whole world. Jesus provides through the obedience of his disciples. Listen, God is at work, and it's a privilege that we get to join in that work. Isn't that so cool? It's actually what Steph was praying before our gathering this morning. It's a privilege that we get to play our part in this. And so the disciples took what Jesus gave to them, and we're not told what it actually looked like or how that happened. I'm not even sure that they would know how it was happening. They just kept coming back to Jesus, and there was more food to give out. And in the same way, for us, being followers of Jesus is simply taking what we have received from Jesus and passing it out. Isn't that right? That's all we do. We just go, well, this is what I've received from Jesus, and you can have it too. And by the way, there's more than enough to go around, but we'll come back to that later. We just take what he has given us, and we share in his work. It's like when Abigail, I'm talking a lot about Abigail this morning, but um, a few months ago, she had to make a pirate ship for school. Now, Abigail could not make a pirate ship. It was, I mean, bless her, but she couldn't. It was Haley who designed the thing and did the research and, and uh, got all the materials and glued it together. And I think maybe she like colored in a sail or something. I don't know. But then you know what happens? She gets to take that thing into work like she, or into school like she's done all the work. She, I don't have her going to work. We're not that cruel. But she gets to go into school and be like, look what I made. And you didn't make it? Come on. We just have this privilege of allowing Jesus to provide salvation for lost people through our simple obedience. Isn't that so cool? Now listen, I know that um, a lot of us, even the thought of me talking about sharing the gospel and all that kind of stuff, we're already thinking that, that we're not good enough, we're not qualified enough, we don't have the right words, we're too scared, we're too anxious, we even lack the desire. I, 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 we're not good enough. And to that I would say this, yeah, duh. The whole point is that we're not good enough, we're not skillful enough, we're gifted enough, we're not eloquent enough, and we're certainly not smart enough or holy enough. This is the whole point. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always heard this story taught in this way. That the little boy offers up his lunch, and God uses that to provide for the people. So the lesson we get is that we give God what we have, and he makes it enough. That's not the story. The story is the disciples have nothing. They're the ones who want to send the people away. It's only Jesus that can provide. This story is intended to show us how inadequate we are, but how abundantly adequate Jesus is. It wasn't the disciples that fed the crowd that day. It was Jesus. It was Jesus who fed the crowd. Yes, he did it, and he did it through the simple obedience of his disciples because they trusted and obeyed him and because he chose to use them. The whole point of of this story is that it, it is the work of Jesus and all we do is simply trust and obey and then sit back and see the miraculous take place. So when we feel inadequate, we need to remember This is how God works. We serve the God who used stuttering Moses to go to Pharaoh to tell him to let his people go. We we serve the God who 
who used Gideon and only 300 men to defeat the enemies of, of, of God. We serve the God who used a shepherd boy, David, to defeat the giant Goliath. We serve the God who used a teenage queen, Esther, to save the entire Israel, Israel race so that salvation could come through them. We serve the God who used a teenage virgin, Mary, to give birth to the Savior of the world. We, we serve the God who used fishermen and zealots and tax collectors to start the greatest movement the world has ever seen. This is the God we serve. And you think you've got nothing. Well, he says, don't worry, I've got everything. He is the one who does much through little. <laughs> this is good news for us. I'm too scared. I don't have the words. And Jesus says, yeah, it's okay. Just trust and obey. I do. All we do is trust and obey him and then see God powerfully at work. This is how you're a Christian, by the way. You're a Christian in this room today. If you're following Jesus, it's only because somebody simply trusted and obeyed Jesus. Whether it was your parents or a friend or a colleague or even somebody you didn't know. All they were doing was simply trusting Jesus and sharing what Jesus had given to them. And then they got a front row seat in the miracle that God did. We might look around and see only the obstacles. But here's what I'd say. Why not trust and obey Jesus? You're not personally at your work that you're thinking, I really need to share it. Why not trust and obey Jesus this week? Open your mouth and speak. And if you do, you might just see Jesus do something amazing. So that's our first two lessons this morning. Jesus provides for all who come to him. And then secondly, he provides through the obedience of his disciples, us. Let's look at the last two verses of this passage, or the, yeah, the last two verses to see how it ends. Verse 16 and 17, and taking up the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. Oh, I love that sentence. They all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now, I don't know if you're like me, I hate getting ripped off or shortchanged. Last Sunday, we went to McDonald's for lunch, and I ordered a Coke with my meal, like I always do. And then I came, and I sat down, and I realized it was only half full. McDonald's were trying to rip me off of half a Coke. And that's not the only thing. And then, uh, later on in the week, we were having some people around the house, and I went to Marks and Spencer's and got one of those tubs of, you know, the mini bikes, Marks and Spencer's, they have all the different ones. Got it. Opened it up. It was only half full. Marks and Spencer's trying to rip me off as well. Now, I'm not complaining about these things because I'm from Balamina and I'm stingy. I'm not stingy. I just like getting my money's worth. Very different things, okay? It's the principle. But the point is that the kingdom of Jesus is not like that. There are no half measures in the kingdom. In fact, what we see through Jesus' miraculous feeding of the crowd is that Jesus provides abundantly. Jesus provides abundantly. I notice two things here. When the disciples passed out the food and they're all sitting down on the grass, probably not grass because it was the desert, but sat down in the sand, I guess, or whatever. Everybody was fully satisfied. That's number one. And number two, there was leftovers. Everybody was fully satisfied and there were leftovers. And when we come to Jesus, he provides. And when we eat of Jesus, we will eat until we are satisfied. Right? When we come to Jesus, he meets every need and then some. There is no need that you have that the Lord Jesus cannot meet. 
Let me say that again, because we brush past this over and over again, and we don't really believe it, and we don't live into it. We don't live it. There is no need that you have that the Lord Jesus cannot meet. That's true. He's the one who meets every one of our needs. And maybe you're saying, well, listen, I don't really feel like I'm experiencing him meeting my needs right now. Well, maybe you think you need something that you actually don't. Let me explain. Because there's a big difference between wanting something and needing something. Now, my poor kids, they're going to need therapy because I use them all the time as examples. But my kids, I hope they don't need therapy, but my kids will often ask for snacks before dinner, right? home from school, hungry, and we do give them a snack when we go home from school, but it'd be like half four or something, and they're like, I'm hungry, can I get something to eat? So tell me this, are we not meeting their needs by denying their request for, den- for a snack and wait- making them wait until dinner? No, of course not. What we're doing is saying, listen, I know you're hungry, but I'm not going to give you what you want in this instant because I'm getting ready to meet your need in an even bigger and even more fulfilling way. And this is what Jesus does. The Lord doesn't always give us everything we want, but he provides everything we need and in more abundant ways than we probably even realize we need in the first place. So if you feel like, I don't feel like the Lord's um, providing for me, I'm going through this hard time and he's not making it go away, well, well, well probably because what you want right now is not what you need. And he, we have a good father who gives us what we need. There is an even greater um, sustenance and filling that is coming. And it is abundant. And it's no mistake that there's leftovers here, by the way. This isn't like me. I grew up in a big family. And so even when I cook for me and Haley and two kids, I, I always cook way too much. And there's always leftovers. And that's a mistake. I don't plan to do that. But there is no mistake in the fact that Jesus has leftovers here. Jesus doesn't make mistakes. He's showing that not only will he provide, that he will provide abundantly. The kingdom of God isn't stingy. There are no meager offerings with Jesus. The grace of God is overflowing. He lavishes on us over and over and over again, wave upon wave, layer upon layer. This grace keeps coming. And of course, if you know your Bible a wee bit, you'll probably notice that there were 12 baskets left over. And I love these times when Jesus just shows off, right? He's like 12 baskets exactly. How do you do that, Jesus? And he's symbolically saying here, all of Israel is going to be provided for. The 12 tribes are going to be uh, uh, provided for. And then also in a very real sense, each of the disciples got to have a basket of food each. Not so cool. See, in the kingdom of God, nobody gets left out. Think about this. The disciples have stepped out in faith and obedience here. And what does Jesus do? He makes sure that they get cared for. The ones who stepped out in faith and obedience and shared Jesus' provision, Jesus says, I'm going to make sure that you are abundantly cared for. You see, Jesus never asks us to serve him in spite of his blessing. He's never not going to provide for us when we obey him and serve him. In fact, it's through obeying him and serving him that we will most experience God's provision in our lives. I'm more convinced of that than ever. Some of you might have heard of George Mueller. Dan, can we stick him on the screen? Happy looking guy. Look at that. Um, uh, George Mueller is one of the heroes, uh, one of my heroes of the faith. Um, 
too much so when me and Haley went to Bristol just for a weekend break last year, we had to go to the George Mueller Museum. Um, but George Mueller lived in Bristol in Victorian times, and he built orphanage, orphanages that provided food and shelter and education for boys and girls in a time when girls weren't educated. Uh, and he provided for over 10,000 children over his lifetime. 10,000 children. Now, that's incredible, but here's the even more incredible thing. He never asked anybody for any money or any help except God. He did all he did without asking a single person for money. He simply trusted God and obeyed him. And time and time again, God abundantly provided everything you need. One of my favorite stories is about windows. They're building a second orphanage and there's no windows. We need glass to put in these windows. So what does George do? George says, don't worry, God's going to take care of it. He prays and then somebody donates glass and there's enough for a second building. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? And when talking about the opening of the first children's home, This is in 1835. This is what he says. He says, The home will only be established if God provides the means and suitable staff to run it. I don't look to Bristol, nor even to England. I look to the living God, whose is the gold and the silver. Church, can I just say this? If you want to experience God's abundant provision in your life, make serving Him your first priority. We, we go, well, God's not really providing. Well, maybe he's trying to move you on a different track to change your priorities. He may not give you everything you desire as you prioritize career or comfort or security, but I guarantee you that if the advancement of his kingdom is your first priority, you will experience abundant provision in ways that you probably can't even imagine. Now listen, if, if you are lacking today, if you have come to church like these people who follow Jesus out into the desert, if you're not satisfied with life, if you're searching for fulfillment, then what I'm doing right now is I'm offering you Jesus. <laughs> He's the only one who can satisfy. He's the only way to fulfillment. And the amazing thing about this is that Jesus offers us himself. He says in John six thirty-five, I am the bread of life. He doesn't say, I'm going to make you some bread. He doesn't say, go down to the bakery and get some bread. He says, I am the bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's talking about total satisfaction. Remember how they all ate and were satisfied? There is satisfaction to be found in Jesus. In Jesus, all are striving to be enough. Searching for meaning, desire for contentment, looking to be to belong. When we come to Jesus, all that ceases. Because in him we find abundant provision. He satisfies us. This miracle in the desert here, it's not just a temporary filling of bellies. Although that would be pretty cool. It's more than that. It's a sign that there is coming a kingdom which will eradicate all of our needs forever. Because Jesus provides abundantly. The Bible is actually full of accounts of, of God providing food miraculously for people. You might remember when the Israelites were in the, in the desert, God made bread rain down from heaven. Wow. And even then, they had to go up and pick what was left over because there was leftovers. In 2 Kings chapter 4, God uses the prophet Elijah to miraculously provide food where, and there were leftovers there too. Here in the, all four gospels, Jesus feeding huge crowds of people. 
But all these miraculous provisions of food were all pointing forward to him, the bread of life. And in particular, two other meals. The Last Supper, which we replicate every week in the communion table, and the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, when Jesus returns and makes all things new. In the Last Supper, just like here, Jesus takes the bread and blesses it. He gives thanks for it. And then he breaks it. He passes out to his disciples. I think is it, I'm sure that as the disciples kind of reclined at the table with Jesus that night before, or you know, when he would be arrested, I'm sure they were reminded of this day. Probably the same prayer that would have been said, the Jewish, the Jewish bread, uh, prayer of thankfulness for bread. And in that meal, Jesus shows that he himself is our bread and our satisfaction. See, it's, it's his body that is broken to meet the need, not of our physical hunger, but, but of our spiritual hunger. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he is the one who fills us up. It's his body broken through torture and then death on the cross. Through that, he becomes our satisfaction. This is why we break the bread. And remember that he is our satisfaction as we break that bread. As we, you're going to come up in a minute and tear a piece off. His body is broken for you. He doesn't send an angel. He doesn't concoct some plan. His own body is broken. He meets our need through his own sacrifice. He says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is our satisfaction. And he welcomes all who come to him to find provision. And when we do... What happens is, in this meal that we're about to take, we're looking back to that last supper. But we're also looking forward to, we're rehearsing what we will do when Jesus returns. The meal to end all meals. The meal that will, provide, that will prove once and for all that Jesus provides abundantly. It's called in the Bible the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see it in Revelation 19. And we get this look ahead, that great feast when, uh, that will take place between Christ and us, his bride. This is what uh, John sees in that vision and shares with us. He says, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. <laughs> 5,000? That's going to seem like a tiny crowd compared to this. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder crying out. You know what it's like to go to the beach in a stormy day and you can barely hear over the noise of the waves? Louder than that. Are you like thunder that's so loud? Louder than that. Many peals of thunder. And they're crying out, hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult to give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saint. And the angel said to me, write this. John, I know you're probably in awe of what's happening here, but get your pen out and write this down. This is for a reason you're saying this. Write it down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the words, the true words of God. Listen, whatever it is that we're struggling with, whatever the weight we're carrying right now, this is what's ahead of us. We are the ones who are going to say, let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. That's us. And we go through life and we think, it's so hard, I can't do, I can't do this. And I've got all this weight and I have to share the gospel as well. But Jesus is saying, look ahead. 
When we come to this table, we look ahead and our rest will come and we will be married to Jesus finally and fully. This meal is the celebration of, our, of the consummation of our union with Christ. That, that just means the celebration of the fact that we are finally and fully united with Christ forever, irreversibly. And we will feast on him. And we will experience what it's like to be fully and completely satisfied. And our pain won't even be a distant memory. We won't even remember it. We will look around and see that the abundance of God's provision and all those weights that we carry in this life will be gone. There won't even be one tiny little thing that will kind of make us think, oh, I know I've got something in the back of my mind. No, you won't have any of that. What is ahead for all of us who come to Jesus and are welcomed by him and are fed by him? And if we come to Jesus now, then he feeds us for eternity. In some ways, my job is really simple, isn't it? <laughs> it's always just about saying, guys, remember what has happened and remember what's coming. That, that's what my job is. And if that is encouraging to you, then I pray that it is and I'm thankful. So, so come to Jesus uh, with all your doubts about sharing the gospel, with all the weight that you're carrying in your life right now, all the pain and responsibilities you have, just come and be fed by him. He loves you so much. He's compassionate. He welcomes you. He's never turning away.